even the lecture, like, I don't know about, we're both teachers. So we, we, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure we were crawling a little bit because some of the oh. lessons are just atrocious. Yeah. Welcome to Totally Pretentious, a podcast about great movies. I'm David. And I'm Sean. And on today's show, we'll discuss Ronald Neem's 1969 film, The Prime of Miss Jean Brody, based on the novel by Muriel Spark, starring Maggie Smith, Robert Stevens, Pamela Franklin, and more. Yay! This is David's movie. He made us watch this. <laughs> Thanks a lot, David. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, uh, funnily enough, my wife seemed to have the same reaction you did. Well, I think what's really curious is I know what kind of books you write in the universe that they're set in. And so it starts to make sense why you are the way you are, because this movie clearly had a big impact on your outlook <laughs> on the world. I did not see this movie until I got I was working on my Ph.D. OK, yeah, but that was in 1930. So <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> This is a weird movie, but it's not it's not weird weird. It's just it's a it's an experience <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, perhaps not not uh, not my usual uh path for this one, but it is is certainly one I'm very fond of. Ah, well we'll get back to that, I suppose. Okay. In the, in <laughs> I yeah. imagine we will. Yes. <laughs> Well, before we get started, friendly reminder that we want to hear from you, share your comments with us about this and past episodes, obviously, especially Totally Pretentious, because that's what we're doing now. You can do that at skiffingfanny.com slash listener suggestions. We are working on a mailbag. We got a couple of comments, so we're getting pretty close to that. So a few more would be fantastic. I also just want to note that not only has my cat decided to come up onto the table while I am recording, but also we got a brand new review that I am now going to read, even though I've mislabeled it in the script as being for David, because I forgot that I'm H2 and he's H1. <laughs> so uh, we got a new review from someone by the name of Mal Foxley or Mouth Oxley, perhaps if they wanted to go for Alf's mom. It's very possible. So they said, great show. Hosts of the Skiffing Fanny Show podcast highlight all aspects of SFNF and more in this can't miss show. The hosts and expert guests offer insightful advice and information that is helpful to anyone that listens. Oh, yay. How nice. That's very sweet. Thank you. Yeah. So thanks so much. I, I, I really appreciate that that review. Thank you. It's five stars, by the way, just so you know. As always, if you want to give us a review, we'd love to hear from you. We will read them out on the show. So go on to iTunes and leave us a review. You can also go to Podchaser. So yeah. So the, the Prime of Miss Jean Brody then, as I said, based on the, uh, the novel by Muriel Spark, but with one further step uh, before we got to the film, because uh, J. Preston Allen first adapted the novel into a play. And it is his play, which he has then reworked uh, in, in the screenplay. So what we have here is essentially a an inversion, a deconstruction, an, an annihilation, perhaps, of the inspirational teacher film. Tropes we are no doubt all familiar with and that we seem to be getting in the opening moments of the film uh, and then keep coming back in very complex ways. The central figure, uh, the title character, is uh, played by Maggie Smith. Uh, Miss uh, Brody is the uh, teacher at the a teacher at the Marcia Blaine School for Girls, and uh, sees herself uh, as a teacher with a mission. 
and what that mission turns out to be is to mold them in her image. And uh, we find out very early on that she's a really big fan of such luminaries as Benito Mussolini and uh, friend, and Generalissimo Francisco Franco. So the uh, we then follow through the years uh, the a group of girls, uh, the Brodies set as they are. We first encounter them when they are very young under her tutelage. And then we follow them through adolescence as they are no longer being taught by her, but her, uh, but still very much under her wing. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much the basic setup. Yeah, that, that, that gets the, the basic idea. I'm glad that you brought up that, uh, that she loves certain uh, fascistic leaders in particular. Uh, I believe the Wikipedia says romanticizes fascist leaders like Mussolini oh, totally. and, and Franco. Yeah. And indeed, uh, I, and she is incredibly idealistic about what their missions are. This is set in the 1930s, we should note. So it makes sense why she's talking about them, because this is in the yeah. context of the story happening in real time. Yeah, by the time we get to the end of the film, uh, we're in the middle of the Spanish Civil War. Right, which leads to a character dying. Uh, one of the one of the young girls who is sort of coaxed by uh, Miss Brody's idealism to join the fight, but we learn at the very end joins the fight against her brother. Her brother has joined the Republicans. She joins the Nationalists, and is she uh, is unfortunately killed in a bombing and attack on a train instead of getting to to join in this becomes one of the big issues at the end of the movie. But I do find it really interesting that this is a film that is about a character romanticizing fascists in the context of a very fascistic school system. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think this is part of the... Um, what I, I think uh, getting to the core of what the, the film is doing uh, with her. Uh, well, I mean, there, there's there's a lot that is doing her and... You, you meant your use of the word romanticizing. I think is really important because caught up in this too is the the, the, the sexual nightmare that she is as well, right? Oh I mean, yeah. She's, she's trying to pimp one of her students into uh, her former lover's bed. Let, let, let's uh, not beat about the bush. Miss Brody is a monster, but the she is a monster existing in the context of yeah that that school, right? right. Where. She is at odds with the powers that be, right? Uh, and so we have the usual dynamic of the the inspirational teacher who's bucking against the system, against the uh, prim, repressed, gray, perpetually gray headmistress, right? We uh, we're familiar with that, and even uh, scenes like when um, they're, they're tr trying to get her to resign, and she goes into this impassioned speech about dedicating right. her life to her students, and uh, you know, almost in tears as she delivers it. And we've seen those speeches before, right? Right, and um, and 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 in that moment, you believe her, right? Because well, she she obviously believes it uh, herself, but then you remember everything else that she's doing. And so the, I think one of the f things that the film does, which I think uh, certainly is, is, is an aspect that makes it relevant today, is as we see the cult of personality around Miss Brody, this is in, in microcosm, the, uh, she, she is a, a fascist leader, right? We even see by the end when she's 
uh, talking about the Civil War, the dress that she's wearing is starting to look like a uniform as she stands there ramrod straight. Mm -hmm. The the pull that these figures have, right? How these girls uh, are you know fall under her wing. She is a charismatic figure, and the you know, we keep being shown all of the, the the reasons why we should fear Miss Brody that she is a terrible person but then we keep also being given these these aspects where you know she's the 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 side that she's fighting against doesn't have anything particular to to recommend about it either right right so uh so you, you it, it's kind of I I think one of the things it does is it shows the mechanism of seduction of how people are brought into these uh, malign belief systems and and the cost that it takes that, that, that is exacted I should say from Pamela Franklin's character Sandy to finally break free of that oh gosh I just don't think that she actually broke free I think that she just became exactly who she didn't want to be uh, uh well yeah um <laughs> Well, it's. I mean, it's certainly in that last shot we see the uh, here's that that, and we're hearing the you know the, the voiceover of uh, you know give me a girl at an impressionable age and she's mine forever, uh, words to that effect. That, yeah, at that moment they read as trauma, right? Psychological yeah. trauma, which in the book I, I will note that that Sandy becomes a psych psychologist or studies psychology and then becomes a nun. Yeah, yeah. At the end, in this, she we her end is she she walks away. From the school after graduation, crying essentially while yeah. that that monologue is is taking place over over her. But she has seen she she also she does see what Miss Brody is. And yes, she does. I mean, she she has been she certainly has been shaped by her, right? She we see the the, the damage that has been done to her, and I think I mean on on the side of of some hope for Sandy is that she is very conscious of that damage right she she as she says to miss brody in the final confrontation you have harmed me right uh you know you 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 know like there's all sorts of bad things that I, that you know that, that she's been warped into and uh but she she's she's the one who stops miss brody and you know we see that that cost but is she is, you know, is she now a new Miss Brody? Um, I don't know if I go that far. I don't know if she's a new Miss Brody. I think, I think that a lot of what this movie, what I struggle with in this film is what what we have are two competing versions of fascism at work. We have the impassioned fascism, the one prone to speeches, which is mm -hmm. the Miss Brody set. Well, I should say the the Miss Brody, and then you know other variations of her, and then you have the sort of passive fascism which is the school itself right because what it is i mean if you if you look at the contrast in the film there's there are a bunch of moments in which we see all of the kids singing right they're mm -hmm. singing like a hymn or something and it, everyone's in you know they're sitting and they're they're prim and proper you know they're meant to be singing you are not meant to break this space this is contrasted with miss brody's impassioned speech about franco and about how he stands for something and you must have ideals and things to stand for right in which all the girls are st sitting before her, listening intently. Even the some of the old Brody girls come over to listen intently. This leads Mary mm -hmm. to eventually join and get killed, right? This is the moment uh, when it's fair to say that Sandy is disillusioned to a degree. And so what, what actually I think probably is going on with Sandy is a, a really depressing reality, which is 
that once she graduates this school, she has been influenced and pulled in two completely different directions, neither of which are at all helpful for her in in her in her future, right? That she has actually been left worse off than if neither of those those two entities mm-hmm. had been involved in her life. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and I agree completely that you were seeing the the, the trauma there. And yeah, I would agree uh, as well there that that as far as escape is concerned, you know, perhaps you know, escape from Miss Brody, yes, but but a, a broader escape, I would agree, no. Because yeah. you know, there there is it, it is a very bleak situation that there we, we aren't given another alternative right it's, it's simply a choice of evils and that there, there there doesn't seem to be any way out except you know you know well to somehow deny them both but but we're, we're certainly not given a positive alternative uh you know uh so at the end we see the shattered sandy leaving the school now um having metaphorically assassinated miss brody what her future uh, is going to be, we don't know because we we don't see the 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 world outside the school. We only hear about. We don't really see. It doesn't technically exist for yeah. this story. Yeah, but uh, and you know, I think too the the era in which it uh, uh, is taking place. I mean, it's uh, worth worth uh, remembering too. I mean, the, 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 that the, the somewhat caricatured figure that Miss Brody is was certainly not an unknown one, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And the the way in in which um, extreme ideologies drew people from the arts to uh, to these figures, right? Um, I mean, if you you know just just looking at you know the uh, central figures of of modernism, like Ezra Pound, who wound up. Uh, writing Being propaganda for Mussolini, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's again, it, it, it's the it, it is very much a microcosm, right? The, the 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 film essentially, you know, other than um, you know a, f- a few brief glimpses, a few in a few brief scenes, the world does barely exist outside the walls of Marcia Blaine. Yeah, uh, that that is our world, and then inside that world, we see it replicating the, the 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 dark currents of the macrocosm i mean and it this may be part of what makes this just a really difficult film because on the one hand you you sympathize with the children because they're kids like they don't really have a whole lot of control right they're in a context in which they are at the mercy of, of teachers right mm-hmm. and we see what teachers can be like at this school it's not just miss brody right we have uh what's his name the the sleazy catholic with all the kids who mr lloyd Mr. Lloyd, who in fact sleeps with a student, uh, yeah. has an affair with her, uh, including painting her naked and all kinds of other things. Although, uh, let me rephrase: he he paints uh, he paints Miss Brody's head on her body. I should say yeah. because he he is obsessed with Miss Brody and is incapable of painting any figure without her face, including pictures of his own family and his own children. And, yeah, <laughs> Heck, he, even the dog apparently. <laughs> even the dog looks like Miss Brody. I think with, with you've sympathized with the kids, but it is also that it is really difficult. I think throughout this to sympathize in general with a lot of the characters, because on the one end, you have Miss Brody, who is is quite aggressive. Right. And very passionate. Right. She mm-hmm. has all these things and, and these ideals and morals, et cetera, that she wants to, you know, imbue into her kids. And then on the other hand, you have ineffectual teachers who really don't stand for anything in the, in the figure of Mr. Um, I can never remember his Mr. Lowther. Mr. Lowther. Yeah. His name was weird, whatever. Mr. Lowther who has like an estate outside of Edinburgh. And so he takes them 
there and he wants he wants miss everyone wants miss brody like all the males yeah. want miss brody for reasons i still understand because she is such a troll but like you have all these ineffectual figures right gordon lowther who's the music teacher who stands up basically for nothing he just does what he's told in one point Mm -hmm. his affair with miss brody leads him to basically be told you need to resign for being a choir leader at at his church and he does instead of defending himself which to be fair he he, uh, technically did the right thing but miss brody does make a good point which is that like you basically don't stand for anything right you don't stand up for yourself you don't do anything right people can just come to you with accusations whether or not there's evidence for it and you just bend over backwards and then you have the figure of miss mckay played by celia johnson who is the headmaster who also is really incapable of sort of challenging any of the systems in place. She just wants to maintain them Mm -hmm. exactly as they are. She doesn't even necessarily want to think through what is happening. So there's this moment in the, in the story in which she discovers two of the girls at Sandy. And I I can't remember whichever, uh, which other one, maybe Jenny who they, they write a like kind of, I guess for 1930s, scathingly seductive letter, imagining themselves writing as Mr. Lowther to Miss Brody. Yeah, Sandy and Monica, I think, who would write the letter. Yeah, and so this letter, it's it's sort of scandalous, but it's also very obvious it's not written by Miss Brody. In fact... Congratulations on your sexual intercourse. (laughs) Right, right. It's written in such a strange way. It's clearly written by children. Instead of seeing this as a moment of saying like, oh boy, maybe we need to talk to these kids about appropriate behavior because they're kids, uh, her response is, no, Miss Brody, you are a monstrous influence and you need to leave. And so there's there's like this sense that nobody wants to deal with any of what's really going on, even with the systems of power that they are in charge of, uh, that there's just this like wallowing in misery and despair that I find in this film. But the kids are the ones that ultimately suffer from it all. Like, they're just they're just these poor kids. I mean, for heaven's sakes, Miss Brody literally at one point is like, I am grooming a child to have an affair with Mr. Lloyd. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the projection, right? And, and we see that you know, the damage it does, because, you know, and, and it's Sandy who winds, not Jenny, who winds up having the affair with him. Right. For, you know, out of, you know, the jealousy. I mean, you know, it's like, just as much, just as she's absolutely right that uh, Mr. Lord is obsessed with uh, with with Miss Brody, but so is she, right? Yep. Uh, would she have had this um, this affair with 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 Lloyd if if not for Miss Brody, right? I mean, certainly by, by by the time we, in fact, we we only see the affair as it ends. By which point, uh, Sandy is seventeen, going on forty five, and is clearly the adult in the room. Right, yep. uh, and uh, is 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 able to see things far more clearly and in a far more mature adult way than the pathetic Lloyd. She has, as Miss Brody would say, insight. <laughs> yeah, she does. Right, and that's the thing. The the we keep having truly awful characters who are right in certain things. Right, like what you just said about Miss Mackay saying that uh, you know Miss Brody is a monstrous influence on the children. Sure, she is. Right, she is, but she doesn't <laughs> yeah. know it. No, that's the thing. I mean, Miss Miss Mackay is in, in in effect doing the right thing, trying to get Miss Brody fired for the right. wrong reasons. Miss Miss Brody is you know you know idealistically uh, committed to doing the right thing for the students, except it's the completely wrong thing. 
Uh, And so, yeah, we're we're given a choice between the status quo, which is uh, articulated explicitly by uh, Ms. Brody as what Ms. Mackay stands for, versus flamboyant fascism. Those are the only uh, alternatives uh, in, in this world. And it's an ironic fascism because at one point, Miss Brody literally says, right, like, I, I'm all about individualism. But what she's creating is not individualism. It's it's subsuming the self into a singular collective identity. Yeah. And almost using and using using them by proxy, right? Putting Jenny, who she sees as herself. Right, yep. The other one with red hair, uh, you know, putting Jenny in the in uh, into bed with Mr. Lloyd because th- though she clearly has feelings for Lloyd, she cannot reconcile sleeping with him with her own self-image. The, the the projection of those beliefs that she has onto the fascistic leaders, right? There's she's constantly, you know, throwing it out to uh, uh, other figures who are existing her her her, her proxy figures in the world as it were i mean miss brody is a monster but she gets great lines right i mean that 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 opening scene in the school where you know you know the the two new students uh show up and the first one starts going on about the the, the, the prize badges that she, she has earned. the badges in in, in, you know, in in uh girl guides and uh uh miss brody shuts her down with uh uh for those who like that sort of thing that is the sort of thing they like which is an awful thing to say to a it's to really a small cruel. child it's too it's it's so cruel it's also very funny <laughs> you know it's 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 this awful thing and then then she lights up when uh, mary mcgregor stands up and says that she has no interests and uh, of course you know cha-ching blank slate so but so you know she she's given these great lines when and when she um takes mrs mckay down uh, a peg or various other figures right she's the, the, the script is so beautiful and uh, so full of, of, of these the, these wonderful turns of phrase, but then you keep having to remember the context, right? The 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 that beautiful line about those who like that sort of things has come at the expense of this poor child who's just shut down uh, and and dismissed as irrelevant. There is like a a wickedly self indulgent nature to Miss Brody. Right, even the lecture, like I don't know about we're both teachers, so we we <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we were crawling a little bit because some of the oh. lessons are just atrocious. Yeah. I mean, first off, I don't know what any child in her class is actually learning except things that Miss Brody likes and cares about, yeah. uh, which aren't necessarily lessons. Because there are moments like there's a moment literally when she's like, "I'm going to show you more slides for my trip." <laughs> Like the yeah, to Italy, right? <laughs> yeah, to Italy and then to Egypt. She's like, yeah, look at my pictures. And then she's like, you know, waxing lyrical about how she feels about them uh, and, and the moments she's giving kind of a speech, right? Then it's very emotional. But so much of what her lessons are really have nothing to do with the students. They're really about her expressing herself. I mean, she's sort of like the the most extreme version of like everyone's had that like art teacher they're they're there to teach art with quotation marks but really they're there about their own self-aggrandizement they want to feel important right and i'm not saying all art teachers are like this there are a lot of fantastic art teachers that really aren't there about themselves but gene brody is like that kind of art teacher and it is at times just insufferable because you just want someone, you want someone to tell her, stop talking about it. Like, I I actually want to learn about the damn, the damn tutors. Like, let's go. Like, yeah. I'll... <laughs> And we do see, I think um, it's, 
uh, interesting that the, the the chemistry teacher, who's a very very minor character, yeah, right. Um, but we have a, a little arc in the background because I mean Gordon Lowther, who she winds up involved with him simply because she needs him as an alibi to avoid Mr. Lloyd for one weekend. So she starts the affair for that reason. Yep. Right. And Lowther is is obviously head over heels for her. He wants to marry her. He. Yeah, you know, uh, he's he's certainly w- wanting to do what you know what what, what he understands what you would ex- to, expect. to be right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she, you know, keeps him um, at arm's length for, as we see, years. Right. Uh, this this goes on for years and years and years until finally, you know, the uh, the chemistry teacher comes in and 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 she and Mister Lowther get married. But we also get one scene with of her classroom, and it's the one time we're seeing. Oh, look, this looks like a good class. Right. Yeah. See, we're we're creating hydrogen, but be careful because. Uh, you know, we could level the place, but she's she's interesting. The class is lively. She's doing her job. Uh, she's not creepy like Mr. Lloyd. Uh, the uh, we we see the, okay, yeah, there, right there, there is a good teacher in uh, yeah. in, in what little we uh, we we see there. And and Miss Brody is not. Miss Brody's not. I, I want to note. I say good chemistry teacher because my history with chemistry teachers is basically a falling asleep. Because the thing I wanted to do in chemistry was like, I want to light stuff on fire. Like, let's go. <laughs> and what does this chemistry teacher do? She's like, Hey, look, we're doing all this boiling and making all this stuff, but we're making hydrogen. Now, watch, kids. I'm gonna light the hydrogen on fire. <laughs> Which is really cool and exciting and exhilarating because, like, you get that sound, the poof, as the tiny bit of hydrogen goes up and the kids are totally into it. The kids are into Brody as well. But what Brody is, what what the chemistry teacher does is I'm giving you knowledge, right? Here is mm-hmm. what, here's the knowledge. And then here's the excitement that comes from the knowledge, right? Information on how you get hydrogen. What does hydrogen do? Well, we're going to look, poof, exciting. What Brody's doing is like, all the world is excitement. Here are my ideals that I'm going to shove into your brain. And you need to become this thing that I have desired for you, regardless of whether or not it is the thing you want to be, right? Poor Jenny, if I recall, Jenny is the the one that she's grooming to have sex, right? Yeah. So Jenny, right, she's grooming this girl kind of not, she doesn't even know that that's what she's being groomed for, right? But Sandy discovers it. And what Sandy does is takes on that mantle. She becomes that. Mm-hmm. Does it do anything of benefit for Sandy? No. no. The knowledge that she <laughs> no. discovers from that is actually disastrous, right? And we can assume that that knowledge would probably be equally or or at least differently disastrous for Jenny, who, again, is a fucking child, Right. Mm-hmm. These are these these children start, what, maybe maybe 12, 13 years old when we when we meet them. Are they meant to be younger? It's hard to tell. In the book, they start at 10, I believe. Yeah. No more than 12, I would say. I mean, they're, they're 17 by the time we get to the end of the film. Right. Yeah. And so you have these children being groomed into roles that have been determined for them. They're not being given knowledge to then discover themselves. They're being told, or at least the the Brody set are specifically are being told who you should be. And mm-hmm. even more so with the Brody set given like literal roles, right? Jenny is to be is to be a homewrecker, basically. She's supposed to go in and sleep with the teacher supposed to and be become her surrogate. She's supposed to be a great lover. Sandy is gonna be a, a spy for the yeah. Secret Service. And then there's there's Mary who as, as basically gets coaxed into becoming a revolutionary and dies. 
And Monica's and Monica's supposed to be an act, uh, a, a, an actress. Yeah, but she does in the book. She goes on to become an actress, or at least leave school to become an actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the book, I believe Jenny marries a man and marries a, a handsome gentleman. Um, I, I think so. But yeah, but but the point is, like, all these people are being groomed to be a thing, and yeah. some of those things aren't inherently bad. Like being uh, being an actress is kind of cool, right? Being a, a Secret Service member is it's kind of cool, right? Those are neat, and and so it's a, it's a bit of a relief then that uh, that both um, Monica and Jenny seem ultimately to be oblivious of what, uh, especially Jenny, of what uh, Miss Brody is trying to do, right? They they manage to remain children, whereas Mary is killed and Sandy grows up way too fast. Yeah, I mean that's the the, the sad reality. I mean Sandy is the the great tragic figure. Uh, because she kind, she. I mean, the irony is that, as Jean Birdie says, right? You have great insight, right? You are my confidant. I, like I can, I can lay all this extra on you because you can, you can see the big picture. She starts out as a child, and so yeah. what? When she gets the big picture, right? She's dealing with all the all the childish feelings that come with that, right? She's not an adult that can fully make sense of what this big picture really means. So there's jealousy involved and. You know, Sandy is being told, like, you're going to go into this role that maybe Sandy doesn't actually want to go in because Jean Brady doesn't know shit about Sandy. Not really. She doesn't know who Sandy actually is. She doesn't know who any of these children really are. She's trying to, like, I mean, Mary's the great one, as you said before, right? She's the blank slate. She's the one that is empty and I can put all my stuff into, which she does and ultimately leads to her death, which is why at the end in the in that big speech that Sandy gives, right, she basically says, you were a murderer. You killed her. Yeah, and we see there with, I mean, on the one hand, another uh, terrible cost because the the thing that Miss Brody says that is her job to do is to put old heads on young shoulders, right? Yep. And that's certainly what Sandy has become by the end. Yeah, right? but she is also, but her insight is fully developed in spite of Miss Brody, right? When Miss Brody says you you have great insight, she doesn't. She's using it just in on her terms, right? She doesn't for a moment believe that Sandy will turn that insight on her, but, but Sandy does. Right. So when we see, uh, uh, Miss Brody in full fascist flight, uh, extolling, uh, Franco, uh, and telling the, 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 the girls to lead, right. Uh, and they're all going, yes, Miss Brody. And we, and, and Sandy saying no, Miss Brody, you know, there, I mean, this, the disillusion has been growing. But finally, at that point, we see her seeing Miss Brody for just how dangerous she is and that she must be stopped, which, you know, the, the, the decision finally coming in the last in the, the second last scene they have together in the classroom after the death of Mary. I do think it's interesting that the movie, I, I'm glad you brought this up because the movie gives us the answer. Who is the betrayer? Right. Because Miss Brody is wondering, like, who's betrayed me because of the thing that Mackay says, which is that, are you sure basically that all of your, your, your girls are loyal, right? Because clearly one of them has not. And we obviously learn it's Sandy. And so in the movie that gives it away in that moment that eventually she realizes who is the betrayer, which again is Sandy. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, Sandy's not really hiding it. Sandy's like, no, 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 no. we're going to have a talk right now. Uh, in the book, she only discovers or realizes on her deathbed, you know, mm-hmm. after all is said and done. And I, I think it's an interesting change because from a I think for the film it works quite remarkably well to have Sandy 
stand up for herself to really tell Jean Brody what she really thinks and not just sit there and be a vessel for Brody's, you know, ideals. That I think is, it makes this particularly powerful conclusion to a really disturbing teacher relationship with children. It is skin crawling the way that education works and the damage that it is is doing. And I think it, a lot of what you brought up throughout this a number of times is that a lot of what we're seeing here is the dangerous cost of education that is done for the wrong reasons because of Brody's sense of it. I mean, like we could say that probably Lowther's fine because all he's doing is teaching him how to sing, right? He's not doing anything particularly bad. He's too weak to he's too weak to actually do anything. Right. Yeah, he's too yeah. weak. He's really just there of like I, we're here to sing. We see a moment when yeah. he is teaching a a singing class and it does seem that again he is fairly innocuous. Like yes, he doesn't stand up for himself, but also like he's teaching how to sing. He's not teaching them morals and values. No. Right? Teddy Lloyd is actually kind of a little bit weird with his teaching. Uh but it's still not like Brody. Right. He's he is talking about like the curvature. He's a little bit overly obsessed with the curvature of the female form, but it, it elicits giggles. Right. Because he's like, oh, like, here's the breast. And all the little girls go <laughs> because they're children. And so, you know, yeah. breast and buttocks are funny. But Miss Brody is not. She is she is dangerous mm-hmm. because what she is doing is woefully, horrifically unethical. You know, I feel like as a teacher watching this. You know, like I don't. I'm not pretending I have a whole lot of influence over college students because they're adults at this point, and so if they're messed up, they're already messed up by the time they get to me. But I just feel like, from an ethics perspective, I could never be a Brody, even if what I actually <laughs> believe is good, which I think mostly I I am. I believe in good things. I'm not a fascist. Those kinds of things. But I could never sit there and do the Brody method of education and like let me make you into a version of me or a version of you. You that I think you should be. No, I, you know, one, one hopes not. And I, but I think too the the thing with 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 Miss Brody and what makes her so insidious is that, I mean, she holds. I mean, her 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 students are gripped by every word she uh, she says. Right? They, I mean, they they worship her, and she does. I mean, when she gives that impassioned speech to Miss Mackay, right? We see how deeply she believes in her mission. Right, mm-hmm. she believes that she believes the right things. Right, that she is doing the right thing, uh, and we see how monstrous that is. And that's why uh, I said that the the film works as as a deconstruction of the inspirational teacher uh, movie. Right, I mean, how many of these you know stories, whether in novels or in films or in television, everything from Goodbye Mr. Chips to for, to Serve Them All My Days to Dead Poet Society, and on and on and on. Right. The one teacher who stands out you know, very and and very often, particularly let's say Dead Poet Society, right? The flamboyant teacher in the conservative environment, right? Who uh, breaks all the rules and uh, gets the uh, the adulation of the, uh, of the of the students to the point of cult of personality, right? I mean, uh, it's as if Prime of Miss Jean Brody were tearing down Dead Poet Society a couple of decades early. And so the I mean, if we think of how many of these kinds of narratives position the teacher as some kind of savior, uh, and you know sometimes explicitly the white savior, uh, mm-hmm. if we think of some of the uh, some of the other variations, 
So here we have a uh, a film where the teacher has a very messianic complex, and the but the tropes are are there from all of these inspirational teacher movies. We recognize them all. We even for moments would fall into them, right? It's like, yeah, uh, Miss Brody, you tell Miss Mackay, you know, the or, or when we see just the how she stands out against the the. The, the drab, gray, suffocating status quo, and then in the next second go, oh, no, holy crap, no, 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 you're, yeah. you're, you're evil, right? Uh, that this this kind of cult of personality is dangerous, this this sort of, of teacher. You know, even if we didn't have, you know, the, the, the worship of Mussolini and Franco, uh, she'd still be a terrible, terrible presence in those children's lives. Yeah, I mean, there's there's this, I mean, one of the very first moments in the movie is literally the moment in which, you know, she is saying, like, we're, we're going against the status quo, right? Has them define what it means and all of these yeah. kinds of things. And well, I will admit, I wasn't, I was not on board Team Brody at the beginning, primarily because I just found, I just found her insufferable the way that she taught. But I think that there's, what's going on is, is still... I could see how that would have an effect because she's saying like, here is the system and it's like super dull and boring and like it's lacking the passions. It's just like, you know, there's the facts, ma'am, but I'm going to give you this other way of viewing the world and it's going to be full of wonder and emotion mm-hmm. and, and ideals and all of these things. And that's the thing that we're going to push against the status quo because you should be great individuals into the future. Obviously it's not what she's actually giving them. And there are moments, I think you're right, in which the story, like you feel yourself being sucked in, you know, the words are wrong. Yeah. But you, the way that it's being framed sucks you in. So the very first impassioned speech, I think, is one where even though, you know, what Miss Brody thinks, she's already said stuff about fascists where you're like, "Mm," she said some Mussolini love stuff. And you're like, okay, you believe some really bad stuff. But when she gives that speech. You're going like, yeah, you tell Miss Piquet because you don't like Miss Piquet either. And you're like, yeah, go get her. And then you realize, no, Miss Piquet is technically right. (laughs) She's just wrong about how she got to be right. Damn it. Yeah, she's no good either. (laughs) She's no good. They're all wrong. You know, because on the one hand, it's wanting us to like, yeah, push against the status quo because the stat, I mean, this is 1969, well, 68, 69, betting when they made it, right? So there's this sense of like, yeah, the story is pushing against what is clearly still a problem in British society of the way that school systems are kind of repressive. This is, I mean, 68, 69, this is, I mean, we've just, we've had, we've had May 68 in Paris. We've had, you know, like it, it, it's a, it's an era of uproar, right? In, in the States, right. in Europe. So the, the film may be set in 1932, but it's very much speaking to 1969. Right, right. That's kind of what I'm getting at is like, it is speaking to an era of like, here is the way that the school system like is just repressive. So when you hear push against the status quo, we got to go against it, got to go, got to go. And it's like, yeah, you're right, because this school sucks, right? It is turning out robots, uh, you know, yeah. like women who, I mean, and specifically it's gendered, so it's women who are being turned into these like prim and proper concepts of what women the should be. The virtuous woman whose price is above rubies, right? That's the uh, the school's motto. But yet, the more you dig into this, you know, the, the way that Miss Brody speaks, the way that she's, doing everything i think you're completely right that you cannot watch this and say this is how even if everything she said was right this is how education should work no. because 
the the reality of what is being done to these children in this movie. And I want to note that in a lot of ways, it's very subtle. So we're talking about it very overtly, right? It's not like the movie is saying, yeah, like, here's all the things, you know, a lot of it is kind of snuck in very cleverly. But the way that th- that this system, the way that Miss Brody and the way that the system are both affecting these kids is trying to like extricate what makes them unique individuals and replace it with something else. The school replacing it with, you know, the, the virtuous woman and Miss Brody replacing it with whatever she seems to want, depending on which student she happens to be manipulating at that moment. Yeah. But it is, you know, the idealistic emotional one who, you know, goes after their passions. But as long as their passions that Miss Brody thinks are appropriate passions. Yeah. Or, or, or hers. Or hers, or specifically hers, Jenny as the surrogate, right? Literally, that's what she wants Jenny to be. It's a surrogate to get Lloyd off her back. And to be fair, Lloyd is a bit, he's a bit sexual assaulty. I mean, he he literally, I didn't realize they had had, they were having a, a thing in the beginning of the movie when he traps her in the bathroom. Right. Oh yeah, no. I mean, he's no prize. Yeah. Interesting side note: he, uh, Robert Stevens, and Maggie Smith were married at this point when they when they were making the film. But yeah, I mean, he's he's yeah he's he's a terrible terrible man, right? Uh, yeah. And yet, when he also winds up being, you know, he he gets to have uh, some dialogue of, of sort of moral high ground speech, right? To where you go, I cannot follow. Right. Uh, as if he's too finally cutting himself free of the obsession of Miss Brody. Right. But it's like she's grooming, you know, one monster grooming a child to be put into the bed of another monster. Ed Lloyd technically grooming a child as well. There's a lot yeah. of child grooming, both in its it's just mental sense, but also in its sexual sense. And sex yeah. in this movie is like, whoo, it is a whole ordeal because I mean, we've, we've mentioned all of the, the varying ways, but, you know, Miss Miss Brody uses she uses sex to her advantage, right? She has sex with Mr. Lowther on a number of occasions, but she's using Mr. Lowther, right? She has no intention of marrying him. She technically has affections for Mr. Lloyd, but Mr. Lloyd is trying to use children for, for sex. I mean, he uses, he uses Sandy in, in horrific ways. You know, I mean, I guess technically she might be like of age at that point, but it, it's it's a child being it's groomed. Still, yeah, yeah. I mean, the only glimpse we have of uh, of presumably healthy sexuality is the relationship between Mr. Lowther and Miss Lockhart, but that's that's essentially off camera, right? We we just know that it happens. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Lowther is is probably the only teacher who is technically a good well, and and the woman he marries, right? You know, but Mr. Lowther's at least on screen quite a bunch. You know, he's he's largely a good person, a weak man, but a good person. He is with Miss Brody for what to him are the right reasons. He doesn't want to sneak around. He wants to marry her. Yeah, I mean, he has no you know? idea that he's being that, you know, that they're, they're what, five, six year affair is simply a way of uh, keeping Teddy Lloyd at bay. Yeah, right? that that that. um you know, uh, Miss Miss Brody has no feelings for him other than that he does whatever she says. That that he essentially is as pliable uh, as any of her uh, students. He's, he essentially becomes a a six foot member of the Brody set. I mean, he does, and he's he's a sweet man. Everything is is for Miss Brody in particular a tool, a tool to use to get ultimately what she wants, and and the really disturbing thing is at the end of this i don't think she actually learned anything 
No. You know, because she screams assassin, assassin yeah. at Sandy. You know, again, as you say, metaphorically assassinated by one of her former students. But it doesn't seem like she's stopped to think maybe something I did was wrong. No, it's always someone else's fault, right? And I think this is one of the reasons why the the, the film the film's relevance continues to this day, right? It's important that we understand that we that we see the ways in which Miss Brody is seductive, also, right, in in the broadest sense to every, everyone around her, and that we feel that that tug as well. That we also see that she, you know, that she believes whatever is coming out of her mouth at the moment that she that that she utters it, and and so we we, we see how people are sucked into fascistic movements you know surrounding these figures who believe whatever they're saying uh, yeah. even if it contradicts what they said 2 seconds earlier you know n- none of this has gone away yeah oh boy we just had we just had like a moment david we we <laughs> like went on a bit of a rant together on this movie <laughs> there's so much i mean look i'm I I didn't hate the movie. I want to be clear. I really enjoyed the movie, but I did find so many people in this loathsome mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. obviously intentional, right? Miss Brody's not meant to be the actual hero of this story, right? No. Poor, poor Mary, right? This, this poor young woman with a stutter, you know, she, she gets coaxed into doing this thing. She doesn't even understand. And is yeah. and is held up as a hero. She's a heroine. She went off and she she did what she thought was right, and she died. And if only she'd lived longer, she could have reached her full potential. And it's like you coaxed her into going. And there's the hit. There's the 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 possibility that Sandy raises that after all, Mary wouldn't have been able to know how to get there on her own. So you know, the way she uh, what she speculates to uh, uh, to Mr. Lloyd that uh, oh you know yeah here's the the envelope marked francs the envelope marked pounds here's how you get to the, uh, the train you get to here here's how you get to Perpignan here's the the train you need to get to Spain right that that very likely Brody would have given Mary very explicit instructions and the money to get to Spain. Yeah she's she is a monster I and mean, sandy i think is is right to say that she also is entirely responsible mary's death is on her it's blood on her hands mm-hmm. it you is know? and to to the irony of calling sandy an assassin as sandy walks away in the shadows of the hall is really played out here to great effect because those mm-hmm. are the last words that that the character directly says to anybody is assassin but it's not an assassinate. I mean, the, the the thing is that Miss Brody gets gets to keep her life. She gets she gets paid through the rest of the term, which is very generous. And she is alive. She can mm-hmm. go on. She can move. She can go to start at another school. She has the potential to continue to go. Mary never had that. Mary went to a war where the likelihood of her death was already high. Right, because d- that's what happens in war. You get freaking shot, and she died instantly before she even got to go there. Her potential was completely destroyed. Right. the The irony is that Miss Brody keeps talking about her prime. I'm in the prime. I'm in the prime. And at no point is she actually in her prime, except as a person of great manipulations and and distortions. Yeah. No. She's agreed. a sociopath. Yeah, of a of, of of a particular kind. Right. I mean the. The, the, the her passionate belief in what she's uh, doing, uh, I think, is is part of that danger, right? That uh, she's not she's not just you know, with, with any sort of lack of emotion, do, you know, sort of setting out to uh, 
on a mission of self-aggrandizement. She honestly believes that she is devoted to her students and yeah. is shaping them in, in a great way, right? And that's that's part of the the horror of her. Yeah. Uh, the I, another irony, uh, you know, she says that Sandy has insight, but of the people who who lacks insight, yeah, is Miss Brody. Yeah, yeah she absolutely. cannot see herself. She's incapable. Yeah, and again, that's part of what makes her also dangerous is she cannot tell when she is doing the wrong thing. Completely. In a lot of ways, this movie is kind of a horror movie. It's just more <laughs> psychological than it is. It's more like apt pupil than. Uh, <laughs> than anything. So there you go. It's it's uh, it's a perfectly uh, fitting film for me to have suggested. Exactly. Yeah. It's just neck. I was expecting a lot more weirdness, but you gave me something a little bit more normal, David. So <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Well. I think we've hit it, so shall we move we to have? the next point? Yeah, so uh, uh, so that's it. But before we go, Sean, what film are we watching next? Well, I'll, I'm going to get weird next time uh, because we're going to Thailand uh-huh. for a film called Uncle Boon Me Who Can Recall His Past Lies from 2010, uh, okay. which was written, produced, and directed by Apichat Pong Wirasetakul. I, I believe I've got that okay, uh, but I'll keep working on that for the next episode we do. Yeah, it's a very unusual film. I saw it in grad school. It is, I would argue, kind of a fantasy, mm-hmm. but it is quite strange. Well, it's one that uh, I've certainly I've heard the name, but one uh, that I haven't seen. So I'm really looking forward to uh, catching it for next time. I look forward to talking with you about it very much, David. So this would be great. Yay. So if you'd like to let us know what you thought about this episode, head on over to skiffyandfanty.com slash listener suggestions. Also follow us at skiffyandfanty on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter at skiffyandfanty.com slash newsletter. Finally, if you like what we do, please support us at patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty and give us some love by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. You can find me at on Twitter at David underscore Annandale or at uh, my website, davidannandale.com. And you can find me at Sean Duke on Twitter, seanduke.net and patreon.com slash the joy factory. And that's all we wrote. Makes it awkward. Well, that That's usually my job, David, is to make it awkward. Hey, that was my <laughs> line. You wrote it as my line. So now it's really awkward. It's technically not your line. It says H2. <laughs> you, you don't even know how to read it. Oh, it does too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You want to, <laughs> we should back that up. Oh, okay. Well, it's too late now, David. Uh, oh, because sorry about that. The, the thing that you don't know is that for years I've been trying to get you to make it awkward, but I didn't oh, well. want you to know that what I was doing. So since our friendship began, I have been <laughs> slowly manipulating you with my ideals to get you to make it awkward. Well, there. Well, well done. Mission <laughs> accomplished. You. And on that note, awkward ending and scene.
If you want to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty or skiffyandfanty.com, our website, where you can get access to all of our fancy things. Our music comes from Holy Mole. You can support him and his work at patreon.com slash holy mole. Thank you for listening. <laughs>